Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. In this series, Kevin presents a summary of his best-selling book, The Foundations of Christian Doctrine. Visit kevinconnor.org for details about where to purchase this popular textbook. All right, so is everybody happy with what we're doing? So, so what we're really seeing, and I hope this helps you, as I said, as it helped me many years ago, just the attack on the Word, and it all began back there. Satan hates the Word, and the only way he could get them, Mr. and Mrs. Adam and Eve, off the ground of faith and obedience, over to the ground of uh, unbelief and disobedience, was attack the Word. So he still attacks the Word. We're, we're for the Word. So... That, that's it. So step number one, what's the first thing the devil did in attacking the word? He questions the word. He puts a doubt into the mind of the woman over the word. He's still doing it. Ah, the Bible, you don't believe that. We don't believe that. It's still the same devil attacking the word. All right, step number two now. The woman, and, and let, let me give you the fill in and then and I'll amplify a little bit. The woman adds to the word. Now, just going by our translation, where she added to the word, she said, oh, God said we can eat of the trees of the garden. We're not to touch it. God didn't say anything about touching it as far as touching. You know, there was just that subtle thing. You know what she should have done? And and, and I want you to pick up the answer now. Remember we read that scripture in uh, Corinthians, for this cause ought a woman to have a a covering on her head or power over her head because of the angels. Who's talking to the woman? The serpent. And who's the serpent? The devil. And who's the devil? A fallen angel. Get it? So it goes way back to the Garden of Eden. Here is a fallen angel talking to a woman who's away from Adam. Adam's probably in the garden, dressing or whatever. And so this is what he works on. And, 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 and I, uh, to do that thing properly about covering, I, I need a whole hour because a lot of men, men as well as women are being deceived by fallen angels today because they are not under covering, they're not under authority. That's a whole hour message in that. Okay. Did you know that the spiritist churches began with four fox uh, sisters, their name of fox, and they had fallen angels visit them. Think of the angel that came to Mrs. Baker Cookie Eddie, a Christian science, which is neither Christian nor scientific. Uh, yeah, so th- that's a whole thing. So we've got to be undercovering safety in the house of the Lord. We'll do, do that. So number two step, she added the word. What she should have done, she should have run down to the end of the garden and say, Adam, hubby. There's an occult meeting going on up there. There's a snake in the grass yabbering to me and, and putting doubts in my mind about the word. And Adam would have come along and kicked the snake in the belly. They tell me if Adam and Eve had been Chinese Malay. <laughs> you know the answer. They would have eaten the serpent. <laughs> Chinese meal, yum chow. <laughs> One bong lang. Yeah, oh no. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, step number three. How many see the attack on the word? Attack on the word and still happening today. That's why this revolutionized my life many years ago. I love the word. So, all right, number, number three, the third step now, uh, and listen carefully, the woman adulterates the word. So, certain questions the word, woman adds to the word, and now the woman 
adulterates the word. And what do I mean by that? She waters down its full meaning. She waters down its full meaning. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you can remember the passage, she's, uh, let me go back to that. Genesis chapter 3, let me just make sure I get this right. So she waters the word down and, in other words, takes away its full meaning, its full effect. Listen to how she does that. Uh, but of the, fruit, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Did God say, lest ye die? Or did God say, you'll surely die? So, so she's watering down the effect of the word, taking away its full meaning. Just in case we die, God said, you'll surely die. So she weakens the word, waters down its full meaning, adulterates the word. All right, step number four. And I want you to listen carefully to this. Step number four, the serpent now gets into the conversation and the serpent slanders the word. Now, let me explain that word slander in a minute. The serpent slanders the word. Now, what do we mean by slander? I got this out of Charles Finney oh, about 100 years ago. How old am I? Anyway, do you know what he says? And I think this is the best definition of slander uh, because the newspapers, the media, they're masters at it. But do you know what Finney says slander is? Slander is to tell the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. Now think of that. I'll give you, give you time to take that down. Slander is to tell the truth in such a way as to give the lying or the false impression. How does the devil do that? How does the serpent do that? All right, listen to it. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. We're going to come back to that. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, here's the slander. How many knows that God knows good and evil? God knows good and evil, but God can only be good. Man, since the fall, we know good and evil, but can only be evil, apart from God's redeeming grace. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. So what's he implying? There's something in that tree, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's something in that tree that God knows he doesn't want you to know. So if he really loves you and you've really got a free will, why don't you eat of that tree and you will be as gods? Remember, what was his for? I will be like God. He fell over that very issue. The self is God, the self-God movement. You are gods. That's the thing. You will be as God. So slander is the word, telling the truth in such a way as to give the wrong impression. Now, I, I know I'm a bit behind time here, but I feel this is important. Turn over to Romans, the epistle of Romans. We've looked at Romans chapter 5, where Paul has dealt with the entrance of sin by one man's disobedience, where we all constituted sinners by one man's obedience. We can be made righteous. Now, continue on in Romans. And we go to Romans chapter, chapter 7 and chapter 8. Now let's pick up in Romans uh, chapter 7 and verse uh, 13. 
And uh, let me play with this a little bit. And I'm reading from old authorizers because I've got it marked here. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might pierce sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding evil, uh, sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold unto sin. For that which uh, I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do not, I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the Lord is good. Now, how many think he needs to see an eye specialist? <laughs> 26 times in this chapter he deals with I, 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 I. Problem here. Now, let me go to the heart of what I want to get to here. Verse uh, 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I, will, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And here's your punchline, verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Why don't you circle the word law or a law and put in your margin there, I find then a tree. Now, as you go through this chapter, you'll find the key words are I, 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 and good and evil. Now, you can eat all the trees of the garden, but don't touch the tree or don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat death penalty, you'll surely die. So now, here's the battle. If you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. God knows good and evil. You'll know good and evil. You'll be as God. So now, here's Paul's battle, because Romans 7 is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. And the good I want to do, I can't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I end up doing because I find in a tree, I've got a tree inside me. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you get the picture? Romans 8, if you want to put them, we've got to run, up, run back. Romans 8 is the tree of life. Because he says in verse 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, no longer in Adam, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life, the tree of eternal life, in Christ she has made me free from the other tree, the law of sin and death. What tree am I feeding on? Wow. I find then a tree when I want to do good, evil, because I've got the tree of the knowledge and good and evil within me. Okay, so Satan slanders the word, telling the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. Step number five, quickly. Satan lies against the word. So remember I said, step number one, uh, he questions the word, he puts a doubt in the mind, and the doubt is the father to the lie. Now he's gradually got the woman on his side, she's sidling along with him, and he lies against the word. Um, I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is not on your notes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Is this helping anybody? The importance of getting brainwashed with the word. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he lies against the word. And remember, Satan is the father of lies. And how does he do this? You shall not surely die. 
All right, now, 2 Thessalonians, and go down to... Um, uh, let's go just, uh, just only for time's sake for verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, what cause? Because they don't have a love for the truth. Everybody's going to believe something. For this cause, a lack of love for the truth that they could be saved, might be saved. God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. Believe a lie, believe the truth. Now, look with me at the moment. I think I can stand up safely. Uh, just think. Now, here's the woman standing before the serpent. And so he's gradually, step by step, undermined the word. And he's gradually getting her from the ground of faith and obedience over to the ground of unbelief and disobedience. But now, what has to happen? Because... Because uh, in, in the steps we've got here, um, it's following the same steps. Those of you who were here last week, following the same steps that ha happened with Lucifer. Pride, you will be as gods. Covetousness, there's something in that tree that I want. God knows it and he's holding that tree from me. But I want that. Covetousness, now self-will. Following the same steps, those who, who were here last week. So now... Here it is. She's got two words before her. She's got the word of God, the word of faith. In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die, death penalty. And now she's got the word of the devil. In the day you eat thereof, you'll not surely die. Which is she going to believe, the lie or the truth? That's it. Everybody in the world today, believe something. We did that on our first night. Philosophy or God's philosophy. So, we know the sad result. She believed the lie. Unbelief. Unbelief. Step number six. The woman now believes Satan's word, the lie, over against God's word, the truth. I've just illustrated that. So the woman now believes Satan's word or the lie over against God's word, which is the truth. Everybody's going to believe something. Unbelief or belief. The truth or the lie. Unbelief. Um, some, uh, sometimes in the Q&A night, uh, the question and answer life groups we go to, a uh, question we've had asked, well, what, what is the unpardonable sin? Uh, can you quickly turn over to John chapter 16? John 16. John 16. Putting it very simply, the unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. Now, listen carefully as you turn to John chapter 16. I'll read a verse in a moment. Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every sin in the world. How many would say amen for that? Except one. The, the only sin Christ did not die for is the sin of unbelief. Because you see, unbelief is the root sin and all the other sins are the fruit of that root. Sin of unbelief is the root. Sins are the fruit. So why do I say that? Because you see, when Eve 
believed the lie, she stepped from faith to unbelief. And all the sins in the world, though they didn't come out personally in Adam and Eve, they've taken the history of the tragic history of the human race for all the sins in the world that was in that root sin to come out. All your sins, all my sins, all the sins in the world were in that sin of unbelief. It's the root sin. That's the unpardonable sin. And so nobody's going to go to hell because they smoke and chew and drink and run with the boys that do. It's because they do not believe. Listen to John 16, if you're not sure of me. Uh, Verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world, number one, of sin, number two, of righteousness, and number three, of judgment, of sin, because they smoke and chew and run with the boys that do. No. Of sin because... What? Say it with me. They do not believe in me. So unbelief is the root sin. That's the unpardonable sin. Why? You say, well, what about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Hey, it's the mercy of God the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. Blasphemy against the Father can be forgiven. Against the Son can be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit who comes to convict us of sin so that we might believe on Christ. Once we resist the Spirit, there's no fourth person of the Godhead to come. That's it. That's blasphemy against the Spirit. Resisting the Spirit. How many get the point here? Okay, so she stepped off of the ground of faith and obedience over the ground of unbelief, uh, unbelief and disobedience. In other words, came out of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. And that's where we're all born in the kingdom of darkness. And when we receive the gospel, we are inviting people, come out of the kingdom of darkness, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. Eve, change your mind. Change your mind. Come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How many are glad you're in the kingdom of light tonight? Hallelujah. All right, step number, number seven. Both the man and the woman disobey the word. I've given you that. In Romans 5, by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners by one man's disobedience. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam disobeyed the word, we disobeyed the word because we were in Adam. Everybody's either in Adam or in Christ. The gospel is say, come out of being in Adam and come into Christ through what I've got up the top there, the cross. How many of you got to see the cross on your diagram there? And did you know the cross was a tree? Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Let me say this. I know I'm meandering a bit here. But you see, on the death side of the cross, the cross is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because Jesus took our sin and our sickness and our death and our curse and our crown of thorns on, in his body on the tree. And he died. That was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But on the resurrection side of the cross, it's the tree of eternal life. And we come to the cross and find life and say, thank you, Jesus, you died on a tree, man sinned by a tree, you hung on a tree, curses everyone that hangs on a tree, but you made the way open to the tree of eternal life. And, and how beautiful it is in Revelation. The first church that's left its first love is promised the first thing that Adam and Eve lost. To him that overcomes, I'll give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We lost the tree in Adam, but in Jesus, 
you can find the tree. I think that's worth a little baby hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Oh, I feel overcome with this. So disobedience. It's all there. Okay. Um, let, let, let's go to the last part here. I was going to say I'm sorry for being so long on that, but there's some reason. Okay, let's go to the last part of that. So I hope you got the message. Satan hates the law, word, and will of God, and he attacks the word. But in, in the Lord, he wants us to get back to obedience in the word. Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. All right, now number five, I'm just going to say this because we've got to get on the second session here. Um, biblical definitions of sin. I remember talking to a young man once. Uh, he was witnessing somebody. He said, well, don't you realize you're a sinner? He said, well, he said to the Christian, well, what is sin? And he said, well, you're smoking. He said, well, where's the Bible say that's sin? Well, you drink. He said, well, where's the Bible say? And he said, the Christian, the Christian came to me. He said, Kevin, I could not give an answer on what sin was. Okay, I'm going to quote the brief thought here. I'd like to spend the whole session on this too, but we'll have to. Okay, Proverbs 24, verse 9. Write down a little, at least something here. The thought of foolishness is sin. And as I'm saying this, if you can relate it back to Lucifer in heaven when he sinned, caused the answer to sin, if you can relate it back to Adam and Eve when they sinned, the thought of foolishness is sin. It was a stupid thought, you will be as gods. I will be like God. I will be like the most I God. I will get worship. Number two, 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness or sin is transgression of the law. So when they disobeyed that commandment, lawlessness, transgression, sin is transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness. Number three, all 1 John... Oh, why you haven't got this? Yes, you have. First John 5, 5 uh, 17, that's right. All unrighteousness is sin. So it was unrighteous for them to do what they did and disobey. All unrighteousness is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So they move from the ground of faith over to the ground of unbelief. So whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That's what the devil wanted, get them out of faith into unbelief. Romans 14, verse 23, to him who knows good and does not do it, it is sin. They knew. They had a conscience. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. All right, we have to finish on that. Down the bottom there, covetousness, Unbelief, they were the, the, these are the tap roots. Covetousness, unbelief, self-will, and disobedience. In other words, desire, attitude, decision, and the act. And so we end up all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's because of sin and death that fallen mankind needs a redeemer. Wow. How many feel you've really got something out of that? And I, I do want to encourage you to meditate on these things. It revolutionized my life many years ago, but it's helped me and given me a passion and love for the word that I want to get back to the word. And any attack on this word, I just resist it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go over for our last uh, little bit here and we'll try and get uh, at least the fill-ins for 
uh, this one here. So with the fall and the entrance of sin and sickness and disease and death, we need a redeemer. So let's go to the Christ of God, who is our redeemer. And uh, I wonder if you could help me. Uh, just in my bag here, uh, there's a folder there. For, yeah, that's it. Thank you. I didn't want to have a falling away again. Okay, now, last week I referred to this. So I'd like to remind you again. Uh, we're looking at now the Christ of God. And uh, I'd like to encourage you to, if you can pick up these, uh, uh, these things, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This deals with some of the culture in Christendom. And because we're looking at Christ, we look at here what they say about God, about sin, about redemption, about salvation, about the Christ of God. Uh, if you can get them in the bookshop, they're well worth getting. And then there's the corresponding one on world religions, on Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and so forth. So uh, what, 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 do you, what, what do they say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Well, uh, no, maybe just to save time, well, I'll just have you fill in. Uh, the fill in here is two major questions, and I think these are the two most important questions in the Bible. What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? So question number one, what do you think of Christ? Ask the Jehovah's Witness, ask the Buddhists, ask the, uh, the Muslims, ask anybody. What do you think of Christ? Well, I think he's a prophet, I think he's a good man, I think he's a teacher, but do you believe he's the, the son of the living God? No, I don't. See, what do you think? And then question number two, and question number two, the answer to question number two will be your answer to the first one. What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? So what do you think of Christ, whose son is he? And question number two, what will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? And I'd like you to fill in your last part there. You will do with him what you think of him. You will do with Christ what you think of Christ. What do you think of Christ, whose son is he? What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? You will do with him what you think of him. Everybody does with him what they think of him. All right, under letter B here, and I'm just going to have to move a little bit quicker here. Revelation of Christ of God. Jesus is very clear. He said, who do men say that I, the son of man? And some said, you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or Elijah. And, and, and Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And then if you go to Matthew eleven twenty seven, I've got the scripture there, that Jesus said, and this is very humbling and very uh, important to keep in mind when we're witnessing to people, uh, we witness, we do what we can, but it takes God to reveal Jesus to the heart. And in Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, no man knows the Father but the Son, and no man knows the Son but the Father, and he to him the Father will reveal him. It has to come as a revelation to the heart. We can impart to the head, but it's not by might nor by power, nor even by our preaching or teaching. It's ultimately by the Spirit. The Spirit has to bring that revelation to the heart. All right, let us see. Moving quickly here. 
In the book of Acts, you'll find over and over again, they preach Christ. Philip went down to Samaria preaching Christ. Uh, Paul, when he was converted, he preached Christ. Uh, scripture says, uh, Paul says, I preach Christ and him crucified. Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says that I might preach him. Over and over again, we have this preaching Christ. What does it really mean to preach Christ? If you go to number two here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 9 to 11, Paul says, I have laid the foundation, another foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So when, when we speak of Christ as the foundation, and we, we, we talk about preaching Christ, what do we really mean? All right, first bullet there, Christ as to his person, that is, you fill in here, who he is. Who he is. What do you think of Christ? Oh, I think he's a prophet like any other prophet. He's a good teacher. He's a moral man. But he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. I don't believe that. But as his person. Well, we believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. As to his person. Bullet number two. As to his words. What he said. Many people like to say, take some of the words of Jesus. What suits them? but they really don't obey his words. So as to his words, what he said. As to his person, who he is. As to his words, what he said. And uh, bullet number three, as to his work, his work of redemption. His work of redemption. He is the only redeemer. Now I'm going to just read this a little bit to you, but under number three here, the gospel according to Paul in Old King, uh, Old King James, New King James, uh, we have nine that, oh, no, eight, pardon me, eight that's the gospel of Paul. And let me read it to you. So I'm reading from New King James here. And so I've underlined in my, my photocopy of this scripture, the eight that's that Paul talked about. This was the gospel according to Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word, number one, which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that, number two, that which I also received. Number three, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. Number four, and that he was buried. And number five, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And number six, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Number seven, and that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And number eight, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. So notice that, that word... That which I received, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose the third day, that he was seen by Cephas, that he was seen by over 500, that he was seen. Eight times, Paul says, this is the gospel that I preach. Eight that's that he was seen. All right, now, as we sort of come in for a landing here, sorry to do this to you, I want to give you eight miraculous truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Eight miraculous truths. And 
If people ask me and say, well, why do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, as we did on our first night, we went through the different philosophies, Buddhism, Shintoism, Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, uh, Buddhism uh, Islam, all the other isms anyway we went through. Okay, why? Why do I? Because when I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, compared to all the other founders of all world religions, none can compare with him. He is the incomparable Christ. And I want to give you eight incomparable things about the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, where are we? Okay, help me, Father. You're doing all right there? How many are starting to swim a bit? All right, you fill in number one. His miraculous birth. And by that, I mean his virgin birth. His miraculous birth, his virgin birth. He is the only person ever born without a human father. Over and over again, you'll find in the Gospel of Matthew, and he begot, and he begat, 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 begat. But when it comes to the miraculous birth of Jesus, says, but the birth of Jesus Christ on, was on this wise. The Holy Spirit came and overshadowed the Virgin Mary. So the birth of Christ was miraculous. And, and, and you see, I, don't, I, don't, I know I'm emphasizing the emphases, but I don't feel we can overemphasize the virgin birth because so many ministers in churches behind the sacred desk are denying the virgin birth. Shame on them. What are they even there for? So the Holy Spirit, we believe, overshadowed the Virgin Mary and planted within her the divine seed. I remember when my, uh, I was working at a regular job, uh, my boss said to me, he was a Russian Jew, and he said, you're saved by uh, a Jewish man. I said, Jesus had a Jewish body, but he didn't have Jewish blood. The blood came from the Father. And Acts chapter 20, verse 28, for those looking at me like that, Acts 20, verse 28, it speaks about the blood of God. Jesus received his blood from the Father. It was the blood of God. So nobody is saved by human blood, but by the blood of God. And Jesus Christ had the blood of his Father. He had a Jewish body, but he didn't have Jewish blood. Keep that in mind. His conception and birth was miraculous, extraordinary, supernatural. The Christ child. And at the, uh, uh, when Jesus was baptized, the Father took responsibility because as Jesus is coming up out of the waters, he couldn't keep silent in heaven. And he just burst out from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And when the Father said that, he took responsibility for the way Jesus was born. Virgin born. Put down Hebrews so many scripture, but put down Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 10. Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 10. When he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you would not, but a body have you prepared me. And in the Virgin Mary, he prepared the body of Jesus. And when that body was prepared, he came into the world. He said, when he came into the world, sacrifice an offering you would not, but a body has thou prepared me. And he was incarnate in that body. Number two miraculous thing. Wish we had time to say more. Number two, his miraculous life. His miraculous life. He is the only sinless person that ever walked upon the face of this earth. 
Now, listen carefully to me on this. You see, people who denied the virgin birth, you see, upon the virgin birth hangs the fact of Christ's sinlessness. If Jesus is not virgin born, then he's not sinless. And if he's not sinless, he needs a savior. And if he needs a savior, you cannot be my savior. You see, on the fact of the virgin birth holds the whole redemptive plan, the sinlessness of Christ, the saviorhood of Christ. It all hangs on the virgin birth. So he's the only one that will ever live a sinless life. He was tempted in all points as we are. Peter, all, all the New Testament writers jealously guard the sinlessness of Christ. Peter says he did no sin. Paul says he knew no sin. John says, in him is no sin. Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin? John says, he that is born of God cannot sin. His seed remains in, in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ and it hangs upon the fact of his virgin birth. Miraculous number three, his miraculous ministry. His powerful ministry. Can you find any man in the total history of the human race that ever did the signs and wonders and miracles of healing, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, opening the blind eyes? Nobody. All the miracles combined in the Bible cannot compare with the miraculous ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. No man ever spoke like this. He totally conquered Satan in every realm. He spoke constantly the words and did the works of his father. He had power over sin, sickness, disease, death, demons, Satan, nature, and the spirit realm. Even the demons recognized him and said, we know who you are, the son of God. Do not torment us before our time. No, no, nobody. I mean, think of all the founders of world religions, Buddha, and uh, who else have we got? Muhammad, Confucius, Confucian, Mary Baker Eddy, the Russellites, Joseph Smith, Name them all. None can compare with my Jesus, my Savior. Amen? How many can say that? All right, number four. His miraculous burial. We take, we, we take these things for granted, but his miraculous burial. Put down, uh, what will we put down here? Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 27 to 31. Acts 2 verse 27 to 31. When Jesus was put in the grave, and wrapped in the, in the uh, burial clothes, his body did not see corruption. Over three days and three nights, and in the Middle East, the crucified thieves, their bodies soon corrupted. They were thrown into Gehenna, but his body was miraculously preserved by the Father for three days and three nights. So there was no decay. Paul says he was crucified for our sins and he was buried buried in another man's grave. And this was the miraculous thing. And you know, Jesus fulfills so many things. When, when he cleansed the temple, they said, give us a sign. And he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And uh, they were looking at the wrong temple. They said, 40 and six years were we building this temple. But like a lot of Christians, they were looking at the material temple. But he spoke of the temple of his body. So his body, the temple was destroyed in death for three days, but he said, three days, I'll raise it up. He's, he was resurrected after three days. And he still had the wounds in his, in his hands and the wounds in his side and the wounds in his feet. He still has them. We used to sing the old chorus a hundred years ago. Well, how will we know Jesus when we get to heaven? 
you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. He's the only man in the Godhead and eternity that will have five glorified wounds, my risen Lord. I'll never mistake anybody else for him. Miraculous. All right, number, uh, where are we up to? Number five? Where are we up to? Five, five okay. Uh, oh, I missed number four. No, I missed something. This is what you should have. What's wrong with you people? Uh, his miraculous birth, virgin birth. Number two, his miraculous life, sinless life. Number three, his miraculous ministry. And number four, his miraculous death. No. Put it so it mess up your sheets. His miraculous death, I'll tell you why. His crucifixion. Now you think on the human side, men beat him with 39 stripes, he was crowned with thorns, he was nailed to the cross, nails in his hands and feet, a spear in his side. That's the human side. But I want to give you the other side, the miraculous side of it. You know what Jesus said? He said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to take, uh, lay it down. I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my Father. So on the human side, it looked like everybody crucified him, pierced him, striped him and everything like that. But he said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down in death. I have power to uh, take it again in resurrection. I received this commandment from my Father. Way back in eternity in the councils of the Godhead, before Adam and Eve fell, the Father had the plan of redemption in mind. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the covenantors, discussed the whole plan of redemption and said to the Son, you're going to go down. You're going to become a man. You're going to cru be crucified. But I'm giving you a commandment. Lay down your life. Take it again. Miraculous. His crucifixion. All right, number five, his miraculous burial. Number six, his miraculous resurrection. He arose, hallelujah. Sorry to get excited about this. His resurrection was a miracle. His resurrection, his miraculous resurrection, he arose. He arose out the grave clothes. And uh, it's just so awesome, you know, uh, when, when, you know, when he arose from the dead, there was a great earthquake and Jesus just rolled the stone away, not for him to get out, but let the disciples in. <laughs> you know? And then when the soldiers went rushing into the, the priest and said, well, the disciples stole his body while we were asleep, it's amazing what you see when you're asleep. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> if you're having hallucinations. <laughs> and, and you see, dum-dum, if they'd been asleep and the body was stolen, which was Roman property... They, they were under the death penalty. They would have died. But you know, money, the love of money is the root of all evil. So the priest took some of the tithes and offerings off the treasury and gave much money to the soldiers and told them to zip their lip and say his body was stolen. Well, what amazes me is that when Peter and John went rushing to the tomb, dear old Peter, dumb, dumb Peter, uh, he rushes in the tomb and walks out, oh no, he's not here. But John rushes in and he, and he sees the grave clothes and the napkin, the cloth that was round his head folded up in a neat place and he saw and believed. 
because I want to know how did they take the body out of the grave clothes and leave the grave, grave clothes there still in the shape of the cocoon and why did they bother to fold the, the, the cloth around his head in a nice neat place? He saw and believed. Jesus is risen. You see, the head has finished with death. We are yet to fold the grave clothes up as the body of Christ when we receive total resurrection life. Hallelujah. All right, number seven coming in. Uh, we right now? Yeah, number seven. Oh, wow. Okay. His miraculous ascension. His miraculous ascension. He went up. After 40 days of teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, Jesus ascended back to heaven from where he came. And, and, and think of the awesomeness of this. You see, because God is a spirit, Jesus came down from heaven. You see, when man sinned and man was uh, fell, we fell as a spirit, soul, and body being. So we need to be redeemed in spirit, soul, and body. Last thing to be redeemed is our body. So Jesus descended and took upon himself total manhood, spirit, soul, and body. Now he's going back. He came from heaven to earth to receive a body, and now he's going back from earth to heaven with a glorified body. That was his spacesuit. Have you ever thought, how did Jesus go through the three heavens, which will be on next week, how did he go through the atmospheric heavens and the planetary heavens and into the third heavens and present himself to the Father as our surety? His glorified body was his space suit. And you're going to have the same when you get to heaven. You'll all be better looking than you are. <laughs> and I'll be more handsome than I, <clears throat> than I was. Okay. And see, God has only ever translated so many men bodily to heaven. Enoch, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Four men in heaven in their bodies. Somewhere in the center of the universe, Jesus is at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us. All right, uh, that's enough on that. The last one, number eight. His miraculous return, his second coming. His miraculous return, his second coming. Over 318 references to the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament. And the scripture says, this same Jesus will so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And Jesus said, if I go away, I will come again. In my father's house are many, many mansions and uh, and Jesus came right on time the first time and he's going to come on right on time the second time. All right, let's sort of wrap it up. He had a miraculous birth. He lived a miraculous life. He fulfilled a miraculous ministry. He died a miraculous death. He had a miraculous burial. He had a miraculous resurrection. He experienced a miraculous ascension and he will come again miraculously. What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Let me finish on this as uh, your parents are going to pick up your kids here. Uh, years ago, I got a, uh, um, a, um, some archives that were translated from letters in Rome. And let me finish on this. It tells of when uh, Pilate was about to crucify Jesus, his wife came out and said, have nothing to do with this just man. I've seen him in a dream. And in the dream, 
she describes her dream. And in the dream, Pilate's wife writes to a friend in Rome and said, in my dream, I saw Jesus sitting on a throne and Pilate was standing before him. And instead of Pilate asking the question, what will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He was asking the question, what will Christ do with me? And you know, the tragic end of that is that Pilate's wife says, because Pilate committed suicide, every time he went to the bathroom and was washing his hands, as he washed his hands in water and said, I'm innocent of the blood, she said, as he washed his hands in water, the water turned to blood because he rejected the Christ of God through fear of what people would say. And he ended up committing suicide. What do you think of Jesus, which is called Christ? What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He is my Lord and my Savior. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and then parents, after I pray, rush and get your children. Father, we thank you once again. We're just overwhelmed with the magnificence and the glory and the awesomeness of your inspired word. Lord, Father, we just thank you for sending your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, not only for what you've done. May these things that we've shared tonight be written deep on our hearts. May we meditate upon your word day and night and may it help us to help others. We ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Everybody said amen. God bless you and dismiss. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more in-depth teaching on the foundations of Christian doctrine, see the new online video teaching courses by Kevin Connor with over 60 lessons. Visit kevinconnor.org forward slash courses for details.